Welcome back to another episode of the Technical Roundup podcast. Joining us today is one of crypto Twitter's most beloved cats, as well as traders, CL, and of course, my colleague, co-host, even at times friend, Donald, is here as well. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thanks for making the time. How's, how's everyone doing? Good, good. I, I mean, it's a bit cold. We've, we've kind of gone a, a huge cold front, but uh, dealing with it. So, yeah, it's fine. CL, thanks yeah. for joining us. You good? Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, so, I'm very good. Awesome. Uh, well, this is, interestingly enough, our first, like, I guess, pseudonymous or uh, anonymous guest which is maybe weird for traditional finance, which is something we'll come on to as well. But for, but for crypto, it's pretty normal. I don't know if you've listened to our other episodes, but we like to almost segue away from the, oh, how did you get into crypto type of questions? Because they just tend to be pretty boring and or right. generic. So we'll kind of right. get to the start of your trading career to some extent, or at least the notable parts of it. So... It come, you know, for a lot of people were forged in the flames, so to speak. Uh, the March crash. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever going to forget that. And in your case, if I understand correctly, you were working uh, at a crypto hedge fund at the time and were trading there before the crash happened and on the crash as well. Do you want to give us some background or context or how, what it means or how it was to be trading uh, at a hedge fund uh, around that time? What were you doing? How did that form your you know, how you trade and look at the markets in the future, just any kind of background and how that formed your career would be really cool, I think, for our audience. Sure. I think that was, yeah, that was last year. And um, I, I started, I got into the, this this uh, hedge fund um, in 2019, end of 2019, or, yeah, like Q3, Q4. And I think by then... Um, most people were just starting to figure out like oh what does like um it mean if the market is like like trading in super high premiums because like uh that, that was like the beginning of when everyone's kind of started figuring out like this consistent pattern where it's like oh you know prolonged periods of like contango or like traders paying like stupid amounts of uh intraday funding is probably not a good thing and uh so so we were just like kind of trading that and i think i think most people kind of figured it out and started like trading that and in in february i think um the market got super leveraged i, I think most people realized too but uh like so there were still probably a lot of traders that thought like oh being x too long is like I'm like super low risk or like some arbitrage uh, firm might do might be like arbitraging stuff on leverage like oh uh, we just nuked like 30 percent I'm gonna buy on bitmax because it's like trading a hundred dollars below but they 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 like perf perform the trade on leverage or like stuff like that so like on the day where we actually started moving down like 50 percent um like just like all these uh positions and like we're, we're like in a lot of like vulnerable spot because like they couldn't get the collateral and they couldn't deposit because like the blockchain was like filled up so it, it was just like a bad day for a lot of people that um underestimated the convexity the downside convexity um of uh, just having bitcoin itself as collateral 
Yeah, that's actually uh, one of the themes we discussed with a couple of other of the futures traders we've had on. Uh, for the benefit of our audience, um, do you want to explain that real quick or go into the dynamics? Um, so, you know, conventionally, if you have inverse futures, it's almost more of a kind of USD BTC pair, right? Where your margin uh, and PL is posted in Bitcoin. But if you're long that contract and you're losing on the position, you also become less collateralized for that position the more wrong you are on the position, right? I mean, the short side benefits from that because, you know, your notional size increases as the market moves in your favor. But on the long side, you know, if Bitcoin's <clears throat> are collateral and you're long, price goes against you, the position loses and also the actual collateral you have for that position decreases as you get more wrong. Um, and right. this kind of brings us to the BitMEX glory days where the whole market was just kind of long its longs in a quite literal sense. And so when Bitcoin would get poked, that would have a much larger effect in terms of liquidation cascades. But broadly speaking, when you talk about uh, convexity on inverse futures, uh, is, is that broadly correct? The, the short description I gave there, do you have any, any further nuance you'd like to share and maybe how things are different now? Sure. Um, yeah, like you, you described it perfectly, right? And I guess the only difference now is ever since March, we had massive, uh, uh, may, maybe it's just like, there, or there used to be like this consistent um, trader base on BitMax, Huobi, and like, and OKX, and like these were like very, very huge uh, exchanges for these Bitcoin collateralized exchange where like just traded along Bitcoin with more Bitcoin, which is like super toxic because like, like if you think about it, like okay, like we have billions of dollars like using Bitcoin to buy more Bitcoin. Like that, that just doesn't sound right, right? Like I, I was so tilted because like I was like always like long-term bullish, but like every time like uh, like before March, like we get into a spot where it's like market leverage and I just look at it and like, dude, how's this thing ever going to pump if like everyone's like longing Bitcoin this Bitcoin? Like it, it just doesn't like, like it, it just didn't make sense because like, any whale is just incentivized to sell it down because they make way more money doing that, right? So it's like, I was just, I was just like, is this thing like just gonna permanently be like a gambling asset or like? But then March happened, like, and so many of these people got wiped. And after that, like, the the open interest in like, on like these four B Bitmax and like OKX exchanges just never kind of like recovered, and their share of total trading has just like gone down and like on the bright side like and, and even better like the tether margin future started growing so fast because everyone's like oh yeah like if you if you own bitcoin with bitcoin you're, you're gonna be screwed like so now i'm gonna move over to tether and like because i'm a stable coin maximalist and uh like i need to be hedged like uh, it's just stuff like that right so so like everyone uh, not everyone like just a lot of people moved up to Binance features because they were kind of the, the most liquid um, Tether features. Uh, so what happened later was like, oh, we, we started, market started recovering and like these people kind of like didn't own any Bitcoin because their collateral is now Tether and like, and that, if, if that's the case, like shorts get hurt more than longs because like th that's just how it worked uh, mathematically. So it became the it became the opposite of like inverse futures. So it's like it's always better to like hurt the shorts on binance futures and go for the longs. 
Yeah, it's actually true. I mean, I, I enjoy the trading environment much more nowadays too, just because of the, I mean, you could call it systemic risk, right? At that point, when you have like a bunch of people just long um, with Bitcoin and then the moment it starts going, it really, really goes to shit. Um, how did you do during during the March crash? Did you actually like get fucked along most others or did you did, did you make out like a bandit? I mean, I survived. So that's, that's good. And the, the place I was working at uh, kind of survived, but they, um, they decided to close down operations. And um, it, it was like, uh, I, I, I actually hedged on my FTX account, but not on my BIMX account. So I didn't do well on my BIMX account. But yeah, it, it was just a, uh, Kind of a bad day overall because like e even if you were like short like you it was like it was just not a good day because then like you, you just know like okay this is like a massive down move like the market is probably not gonna like recover for a month it's gonna be like consolidating which which it that's what it did for months so, it, so so i was just kind of like ah oh, damn like this like yeah it's gonna be so boring for the next few months you're just gonna be like, scalping like intraday bullshit it's like me and nothing's gonna like exciting's gonna be going on because like everyone's like gonna be in a bad mood so. <laughs> yeah i still remember like sitting there being like ah oh, shit this is like, like i wasn't exposed to the market I, I was pretty well hedged but i was still sitting there being like oh shit is this going is this going down is this going to go like be the end of it all and i mean no matter how long you've been in the market, right? That question creeps up when you go down like 50% in a day on Bitcoin. <laughs> um, right. right. But, and, and like a move that sharp kind of like almost never happened before. Or like, yeah, I just get, I guess like no one just, I remember like all in all these chats we were in, like everyone was in, everyone pulls up the daily trend. They're like, what the heck is this candle? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is not real, right? Like, so yeah. When did things start turning around from a high time frame perspective? Because I remember for me personally, like that nuke happened and I was like, well, shit. I mean, this isn't, this isn't where you sell. And I was buying some down there, but with the expectation of playing some sort of bounce or God knows what. Um, and I actually didn't trade that well between like basically since from the bottom to when price basically retested something. I think it was like 7,600 or like mid 7K. Once we got through that area, you know, I kind of got my bull goggles back on. Like, okay, we're starting to rebuild something, reclaim something. These rallies aren't being sold into, et cetera, et cetera. And the higher time frame picture, at the very least, it looked like we were going to survive, right? Um, when did that moment in the market come for you, if at all? When you said, okay, now that I'm looking at that March day, uh, with, you know, with a few weeks or months past, that really does look like a... Uh, generational bottom or like a significant market bottom and now I actually think uh, the upside is wide open was there anything specific or anything e either technical fundamental uh, that you that brought that turning point in your mind from crash okay let's see if we survive this bounce versus hey this is starting to look pretty decent and almost safe at this point um yeah probably like yeah when, when we got into April like early April I was like um, yeah, like, all these bad news, like, kind of, it kind of just stopped working, right? Like, it's like, okay, we get some bad news, like, oh, stock market is 
down like we need to be correlated to it so let's start selling like but i, I kind of just realized like there's limited amount number of bears in this market right like if you're bear crypto like you either just never touch crypto or you come in and you're a trader that kind of shorts it right so like i i just figured like if you're already bearish like you're you're kind of already either like like no new bears is gonna come in just to short this right like they, they don't even want to touch like all this stuff right so like i i just figured like yeah like the number of bears are limited so like every time we went down a bit it was just like from all the short the like, shorts that were already in the like in the market so like every time we moved down like five ten percent back then it was just like all the shorts piling in and that that was just like super alpha because like you can kind of like count like how many bears were, there were in the market because like there was like limited number of people that was still interested in trading this and like everything so yeah so uh, I, yeah and, and i realized that yeah like there, there's like no like real like spot like like whales still like capitulating hard like it, it was just like traders like smashing around a tight range like five six seven k and then like i also realized like damn like this is the first time ever where coinbase is consistently doing a positive net cbd of like two three thousand bitcoin every day and that happens starting from the crash right like every day we just get net buying of two three thousand sometimes four thousand bitcoins per day and that was like a consistent thing for like the next whole month and i was like damn like is this what um real buying interest looks like like because <laughs> like yeah. that's never happened before so yeah it was insane i mean it makes sense right if you think about it being bearish on something it, it's pretty bad to be trading something that you're bearish on right because I mean, the upside is always larger than the downside, right? Like, if you just think about it, Bitcoin going from 4 to 60K is much, much more significant than Bitcoin for bear anyway, than Bitcoin going from 4K to zero, right? I mean, yeah, you can short this and you can reshort and reshort and reshort, but still, like, the upside of, like, being bullish in a bull market is much greater, I think, um, than being bearish in a bear market. Um right. And also for the like the trading point, like I, I I've always been like a shorter time frame trader, like like just intraday week stuff like that. So like I remember right after thirty five hundred or something that we went to on futures, like Coinbase just had like this reverse like rug pull where it's like it was like the most amount of Bitcoin buying I think I've almost ever seen in a short amount of period of time. Like it was just like. I don't know who it was, but it was just like a ridiculous amount of buying. And I was like, okay, look, this has to be it. Like, like after 3,200, like that, like there was like very fast momentum back to like 5K. And I was like, okay, this has to, like, we're not, at least we're not going to zero today, right? Like, <laughs> that's what I was, I was thinking. So, yeah, even that seems like a gift at certain points in the market. Like, <laughs> not zero today is a pretty good start <laughs> after after getting through right. a 50% daily candle. Uh, but you mentioned right. some uh, lower time frame trading and some data points you look at earlier to get a sense of what, when you were trading for the fund, like futures data, etc. Something we like to li like to ask all of our guests is when they wake up and they want to get a sense of the market at a glance, what is some of the stuff that they look at in terms of either charts, data, uh, or anything else to 
just gain an understanding of what's going on. So for you as someone who's often or at least experienced in the short-term trading side, what does a normal kind of wake-up daily routine look like? Do you just look at charts, premiums, funding? Could you give us a kind of overview of your toolkit? Yeah, so like, yeah, what you just said. And I tend to um, pay attention to just the chart too because I... Um, like there, there's always like spots where you know like people are gonna set stop losses even like if they're a scalper too like because like I, from my understanding this market is like a ton of uh just like one minute five minute fifteen minute chart traders bat, bat, battling each other to like kind of like and, and then like the actual demand throughout that day kind of like ultimately like that direction ultimately get printed out as these lower time frame traders kind of like try to do price discovery fight between themselves over like testing or like just who's actually buying and selling there. So like there's always gonna there's there's like there's just like intraday high and lows where like people set stop losses and I, I would just go and see like oh how many people are like getting stopped out here or there just kind of like to gauge like how how much of the intraday like movement was like uh held up by like a directional bias between these people to like gauge like oh like what what's the like, how much applicable was going on and like and or yeah like checking um some all some all point indexes because i think that's important because like a lot of intraday moves could uh not just be derived from bitcoin itself sometimes you could see like like if the zeros that a big like set off then like east would kind of like start bending down and then like BTC is correlated to like all these coins, so it's like Bitcoin can start going down. So like, I kind of just like take a look at like all the charts and like see if there's like leverage going in and out like significantly. Do you think? Do you think in general that whenever you have like too much leverage, you get like a sell-off or like um, a squeeze, or do you think you can have healthy leverage in the market? I think we're kind of seeing some extent of healthy leverage like like this entire run i mean of course there's like points where it's just get like okay this is kind of done now but like we've never really had like anything close to like backwardation so like every bottom so far was kind of like healthy leverage i would say yeah yeah i i agree i mean we've seen so much i mean if you just compare it to like the the six to like whatever 10k range in seven uh, in 18 where we had like so much leverage every time it just went up or down. Like it feels much, much more muted now. But maybe that's because like we talked about earlier, because of the uh, difference between having Bitcoin as collateral. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you there that it's just been much, much more constructive on that front. Right. Actually, like over the last few months, I would say there's a tiny shift back to Bitcoin collateral, but it's not like, as like just it's not like um 2019 like 2019 was literally only like bitcoin battle futures which is just horrible but now it's kind of like there yeah there, there is this mix and, and like during like um 2020 especially like after march it was just very low amounts of like bitcoin collateral futures and i was posting about that a lot i was like guys like this whole rally so far is just, like open interest on like the stablecoin features, right? So like that's like real cash buying Bitcoin. Like even if they're long, that's real cash, right? Like 
that they can't get its Bitcoin exposure unless they take the position. So this open interest can do it. Like you can almost gauge that as like a spot buy because like they need to be X1 long at least to even get X1 Bitcoin exposure. So, so like I think a lot of people underestimated how underexposed, underexposed, sorry, the market was. And now that Bitcoin price is way higher and like it kind of outstripped the amount of stablecoin there is. So like there is a, a bit of moving back to uh, BTC collateral, but it's still it's still fun. I think. Do you think that for you know that there'll be some people listening who are new to this market and maybe they're on Twitter and they're seeing huge like Binance futures PLs and all the usual stuff that comes with these prices and this sort of price action? Do you think that you need leverage to make it? Can it be used appropriately by beginners? Because I think when spot is moving so much, if you're in the right investments, it does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And leverage is like one of the few ways to get liquidated while still being right in many cases. Um, are those using, you know, people using leverage, are they not going to make it? I, I, it's, it's a hard question, really, because it depends where your entry is, of course. But like the way I see it is like, if you find a consistent way of making money in crypto, like I think you just keep doing it because like, why wouldn't you do that and like try to try something neat, right? Like, like for me, it was like okay, I I didn't like all points in twenty nineteen, so and that's where I started like getting to trading more seriously, and I just thought yeah, like trading Bitcoin made way more sense for me, but I know there is also like of course a lot of people that didn't that wasn't into like this whole like, oh i'm coming into like this bitmex casino for like i'll trade everyone to make money they they just like did investment in like other alts that are, that are now like up probably more than me <laughs> trading bitcoin right so yeah it you I, th I think like you just figure out what you're good at and kind of do that yeah do you do, do you have have you moved on from that like bitcoin centric trading style or do you still concentrate mostly on bitcoin and just do a little bit of everything else no i've kind of uh, i mean i still do trade it but like i've moved on a lot i used to like completely be like oh wake up and just like i can rest 90 percent of my day would just be oh literally looking at every trader like like I, it was kind of ridiculous because like in 2019 there's not that many people in this like space yet so like Every day, I would just like look at the orders coming in, and I'll just say, "Be like, oh yeah, it's that guy again." It's like, it, it was just like I kind of almost knew everyone, like because I would just like stare at this whole thing every day, like read the tape every day. So it's like, but now it's like there is it's impossible for me to like reach that level of like a granular level because like there's just way more traders, and there's actually like spot like significant spot influence now, which like kind of like less of a thing back then, like like back back in the like 2019, if you get like a few mil buy on spot, people were like, oh shit, like damn, there's like real buyers, like wow. <laughs> but, but now it's like, yeah, these like strong flows come from spot too. So it's like, um, no, it's no longer just like, oh, I'm gambling against like these other hundred people in BitMEX. So it, it, it definitely changed. I, I mean, yeah, this ass has gone like X, X, X5, right? So, yeah, the, the structure of the market definitely has changed. So, I've now started doing more alts and like 
some small investments with like uh ego capital and stuff yeah i wanted to take us um you know take us on the journey from transitioning essentially from the very short term i know everyone at the poker table bitcoin low time frame speculation to being much more thesis oriented um investment driven uh type of approach both in your kind of personal uh endeavors but also via ego capital how, how do you make that transition were you always kind of interested in the fundamentals but then knew that your edge was in the lower time frame trading or was it a more transformative thing right like okay i'm going to get away from the short time frame technicals futures liquidations etc and it's almost time to retrain myself to think about the market in a different lens how do you kind of go from a to b because for many people that's like probably the biggest jump uh that they can envisage you know if they're trading like short-term technicals medium-term technicals whatever a lot of the time they'll almost write themselves off as not knowing the fundamentals or not being an fa type of guy so how do you go from point a to point b or become comfortable with looking at uh the non-technical side of things right i, I guess i always kind of like was interested but i would never like be like put my money on it because they i knew um like I, I just, I would just always assume like, yeah, this, this thing's gonna take too long to play out. Like, there's no way I'm like gonna be in front of my computer just waiting for this thing to play out over the years. Cause like, w like, what am I doing really? Like, uh, if I was an investor, like, uh, there's not much I can do like intraday or intraweek, right? Like, so I just naturally pivoted to like Bitcoin trading, but I, I still like read about like uh, the other stuff like. I wouldn't say like very consistently, but like yeah, I do keep keep up myself up, up to date, which is why like I tr I like I realized like oh shit, I missed like the first move in DeFi like twenty twenty, but like I immediately jumped in afterwards because I was like yeah, like I the first time I used like I tried to lend out my money was in like twenty nineteen, and I was like yeah, this this has to be the future one day, but like I didn't really buy any of these tokens right because like I I I kind of like have this like belief where like yeah fundamentals are like in no way correlated to price at least like not like next week next month it, it's more like like a multi-month or year thing so i just Sorry. never actually invested right it's, it's kind of hard to like for me to think oh if i'm good or get, I'm, I'm like a good investor now or, or like, i i don't think so because like or, or i don't know right like this thing like oh you invest in something like okay cool your unlock is next year like what what's the price going to be by then i like, have no clue right like or, or like it's kind of like like to me like i can see if i'm wrong or right if i'm doing like my shorter term time frame strategies but it's hard for me to like gosh like oh am i right in this investment at the moment or like because it, it takes so long to play out so would you say it's more of like a patience issue or is it something else? Because that for me, I've always been like, I, I don't have a problem like sitting on my hands for a month, but like if it takes longer than that, it starts getting like difficult right. to, to still have conviction, to still be like, okay, this is still going my way. Um, do you think that's, that's the issue or do you have like, is there another reason for it? Yeah, that was definitely one of the issues. But back then, right, like, because, like, I didn't have as much capital, so it didn't make sense for me to be like, oh, I'm allocating all of this to, like, these investments or something like that. Because, like, what else am I going to do, like, 
in my daily life if I'm in crypto and I'm already like fully invested. There's like it, you, you kind of just become like Dijon's partner. You have nothing to do other than shit post because uh, like cause, like he's well capitalized. Like on like on, but I I I wasn't back in the day, so it just didn't make sense for me to uh, go that route. But now I see why because like I. I, I, like I'm starting to kind of get burned out, like just trading like BTC, because like now it's like I have to um to do what I used to do before. It's like I, I need to like pay way more attention, kind of, because just there's just way more random order flow coming through. Unlike before, where it's like, oh damn, someone long five million Bitmax, and that's the whole that, that's the biggest long we've ever seen like the last twelve hours or something like that, right? Like, like yeah, back in the days, like someone would like take a position and like everyone would see right like oh he's long like five mil like damn what a market buy damn what a chat like <laughs> like but now it's like yeah this five mil happens like every two minutes so it's just harder and so i kind of moved on yeah i've noticed that um point made by a lot of tape readers or order flow traders that you, you know used to just be able to follow pretty much mex flow and have a kind of all in one place arrangement for your short-term trading whereas now you've got all sorts of weird data coming out from different exchanges you need to follow spot need to follow uh futures as well it's you know it's a whole different ball game so it's it's unsurprising that the time commitment uh required is also different um so the, the transition makes sense and one of the most interesting projects that came up on my radar and uh, i'm sure this applies to our listeners as well was actually eGirl capital because first of all, the name was just hilarious. So th there's always that. But secondly, I, I wasn't entirely sure what to think. Like, is it some sort of unofficial alliance? Is it an actual fund? Who's in it? What do they invest in? Are they registered, regulated? Like all, all of that sort of stuff. But then over the last, I don't know, couple of months, you know, Eagle Capital has been making moves. We, you know, we've seen you as investors alongside Alameda, CMS on some, you know, High, higher profile tickets are you in the DeFi alliance which coinbase recently joined so that's a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an interesting overlap and as far as i'm aware i think the majority of ego capital is like anonymous as well right so it, it's a pretty uniquely structured uh type of team i mean crypto funds are obviously different from traditional finance funds but they generally still kind of adhere to the same old structure where you have some sort of legal incorporation, everyone knows who the other people are, and, you know, ticks some of the normal boxes that people may be used to. But Eagle Capital is pretty different uh, in that regard. Could you give us a bit of an overview of how the idea came about? Uh, what do you do? Do you have an investment mandate? Um, and yeah, I'm sure we can branch off from there once we get a, a bit of an intro. Sure. So it's kind of just this joke, right? Oh, what if you saw this firm like investing in a project that like, like if you scroll down into like this project's website and you saw this ridiculous name, what would you do? Like, and then everyone's like was replying, yeah, like I would eight hundred percent like my net worth, sell my house, like just go all in. Like, but that was that was like mostly like just memes on Twitter. But we we kind of like just like a few people replied in the post, some some somewhat along the lines like, oh yeah, let's make it like. Let's do it, and then like few people, few people came in, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I, let's do it. I'm, I'm down to join." And then I was like, "Cool, I'm in." Like, and then we this thing, this group chat kind of just formed. And at first, it was mostly just oh, like friend posting, like shit posting, like meme posting, just in the chat, but like 
later, like one day, like uh, what someone uh, went and like made this actual entity in BVI, and we're like, damn, uh, that that's really cool. So now we can, I guess, we can. Uh, that that's like a legal entity, so we can and start investing in things. Um, and I, I think our first thing was like. Uh, right. Our, the first thing we invested in was, I think, Radical. There's like this uh, code base. Uh, actually, I'm not super familiar with it, but it's like a, kind of like a decentralized GitHub sort of thing, and and that did really well. So we were like, damn. I mean, yeah. So like, we were like, yeah. Or, do we like make more investments? So like, we kept going, and like, so now it's kind of like became this thing, and like. It, so it kind of just like happened naturally. Like I didn't even think it was gonna work, and I actually didn't even like buy into Red Radical because like I, like I, I just didn't like. I was like kind of like uh, burned out at the at that time. So I was like, yeah, like I'm just not gonna do anything crypto. So I kind of like didn't participate as much. But now I'm like, okay, yeah, this thing's like much more serious. So like I I'm starting to contribute way more. And I guess like for the first position was actually socks, but that that was kind of like a joke. But since it did so well, I guess it's serious now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's all like? Where is it now? Uni socks. Um, what's I the think price? Nothing, I can check, but I think it's like ninety thousand. It's been so around it's... the same price for a while now, like yeah. around ninety or hundred thousand. But you guys got in like at was it three or four figures? Oh no. It was like, it was at uh, between three and six thousand for a long time. Where, yeah, and we we kind of just like I just kind of like accumulated a bunch, mostly be because I was like, well, at that time I thought it was like a Veblen good, but then I kind of realized it could kind of be like this a piece of like history because it kind of was like one of the first, uh, kind of like yeah, the first like collectible that happened in DeFi. So like now we were like okay now that collect, like digital collectibles or like digital art is like the hype so I don't think we're gonna sell this because like I think the vision's kind of like changed and like people actually like believe in this and the like, crypto culture is kind of like going mainstream so and we actually like bought some more stuff too like we're getting into art and like we we got some punks luckily before the Christie's announcement so that was like super lucky for us yeah. So, but, so you you're moving yeah. in the in the NFT space. You're moving in in a bunch of different like DeFi DeFi in the DeFi space. Um, is there anything that you're looking at currently that other people could get in on as well, or is it just um, the good old kind of stuff? Or can you not talk about it? I guess like one suggestion I would give is like for getting into like NFTs that you just really need to relax and like because like i'm definitely not in this thing for like a flip or something like that because like well at first i was like oh yeah if uni stocks hit something like 50 grand like yeah why would i still hold the scam like but now i'm like wait the ceases is now changed like punks is like this like east culture thing like and like all the uh it's like the first like on-chain nft like so it it like if crypto was like um, community continued to grow, like 
these are digital uh, traces of what is uh, of its history is going to be very valuable. So I think it's kind of like a very long term position that we're kind of initiating. I wanted to ask about how you view NFTs more broadly. So I've seen you argue that there's going to be a very almost kind of extreme uh, value accrual, whereby a lot of them will go to zero. And then others will just, you know, these pieces of history or what they, whatever they may be, will go beyond people's expectations. It's not really a binary articulation per se, but I, you know, I really found your contextualization pretty interesting where everyone seemed to, or, you know, there seemed to be a prevailing consensus of this rising NFT tide lifts all boats. But if I've understood your position correctly, you think that value accrual will tighten up and the rest will kind of fall off the wayside as, and go through their own uh, bear market, in a sense. Could you add some right. more context to that? Where do you see, well, first of all, why NFTs? I suppose the second one is, where do you see that value accruing if most are going to have a bit of a rough time, at least to, to, to where they are now or at the time of recording? Sure. So, like, I think NFTs that's like, if we have to give an analogy, it would be like buying a skin in a game. Like, like there, there's like many CSGO skins, for example, that's sold for like six figures, five figures easily, right? And it's like, imagine if the, the game was just like the internet and the skins were just like scarce pieces of the internet. And that's how I see it, kind of. And I guess like the reason why most NFTs would or maybe not zero, but like they would just trade at very low like base prices. Like it's because like the amount of artists in the world is like there is so many, right? Like I think people kind of underestimate like, um how like how many artists and like how many like creators there are. So like maybe the first time they see like something they like, they're like, damn, I have to buy this, but then they realize like wait, there's literally a thousand artists online I can reach out to right now that can replicate kind of reproduce something very similar to what I just bought. So like, then why are you buying it, right? Like, they can just like make it like another one next week or next month, or another person can make it next week. So it's like, I kind of feel like people don't uh, realize like this kind of inflation can just like, is very high. So, and, and, it's, and on like projects like alternative punks, right? It's like kind of like all coins, but like what what's the value in like, say, so it's like, say, if you see punks as an analogy to like the first lineup ever made by Apple, which now kind of like all these first Apple computer stuff were really high. But then if you're like buying a 20, 2003 uh, like Mac or something, which is like kind of like not even old, right? It's just like an alternative. Like why, like why would collectors be looking at that and not at like the first Apple computer? It's just like, Kind of like an analogy, right? So like, and like anyone can create these like alternative punks, right? Like, you see all these like random ones, and like, but obviously the the original like one that was like the first made in 2017, like the first on-chain NFT, was the one that went to Christie's. Like, there's a reason in that, right? Like, people like collectors don't value copies, I would say, or like they don't value things that can be reproduced easily. They very much value. Uh, like something that's actually in the history or it's like super scarce 
I would say. And 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 among collectors, like they are like they like these people would have like high conviction and like high uh, value perception for these things. So these people would like pour a lot of money into this thing that they think is like unique or like a piece of history, and they wouldn't like go anywhere to buy these like alternative like copies. I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And generally with art, there's something to be said for the added value of truth, right? There's a reason people travel to see the Mona Lisa itself, for example, because they know it's the one uh, as opposed to replicas or viewing it online, whatever it may be. One of the interesting uh, pillars of your thesis to some extent, and this is something you fleshed out over Twitter, is a kind of macro directional shift, which can some so essentially be summarized as bearish physical and more bullish digital for many reasons right and i think you touched on the central point that to some extent with your analogy of you know csgo skins have this value and i imagine that being uh applicable to the internet as a whole right now understandably the immediate counter argument or point of skepticism to that position would be that we're, we're in quite unique circumstances and I, I know that's like the most cliched phrase ever in, in like 2020 one podcast world but basically uh, everyone's been inside for like a year um we've been confined to the digital uh, in many ways and so on and as well on top of that there's a crypto boom going on which brings even more interest towards i mean the ethereum ethereum ecosystem but all things digital generally speaking so i suppose the lowest hanging fruit counter argument is that what we're seeing right now is pretty much the extreme of what we're going to get it's as good as it gets right the perfect storm the perfect petri dish petri dish where the real world is closed crypto is booming valuations are high all the attention is there but then when you know lockdowns start to be lifted and some sense of normalcy uh returns to the world and maybe even if crypto pulls back or whatever basically some sort of mean reversion in the real world that a lot of people will move away from those sorts of digital allocations and some sort of balance will be restored and you know physical goods will maybe reestablish some of their prestige etc etc how much of the current nft boom do you attribute to covid circumstances essentially and do you think the world opening up so to speak is uh, is any threat to those pro-digital type of narratives and i hope that makes sense as a question yeah that that's an amazing question and personally i think like this kind of thing where like covid being the catalyst like it, it was kind of inevitable because like my my other thesis was uh since everyone so like in internet kind of got popular between like I would say 1995 and 2005 like that kind of 10 years is where we onboarded the most amount of humans percentage wise onto the net right and these people started like having computers phones and if you see who are the adults today the younger adults are exactly of that um period so I grew up I had a I guess not when I was like five but when i was like 10 i was definitely on my computer and, or maybe not every day but like very frequently right and like i see mo it's most mostly the same for anyone that's like like 20s 30s maybe not late 30s but yeah like generally like i would say like like and this this is like the population group uh like age group that kind of is now starting to gain a lot of wealth 
in this world. And that will only continue to be the case because like, um, like at least statistically, like most of the wealth is in the hands of people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. So as, as like this generation of like just purely digital native generations keep moving forward into like being the majority wealth holders of the planet, I think they will like, there would be way more of these people that value like digital scarcity and like just um, digital collectibles more than um, some other kind of thing they might have obtained, say it's like a um, Rolex or something. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have a friend who's like, yeah, why would I buy a Rolex, go outside for like two hours so like people can see my wrist for two hours when I could could have like bought a punk set as my profile picture and I'll be flexing 24 seven, right? Like, so that's like another <laughs> counter argument for like, uh, like, yeah, like as these people like kind of grow up and they start to accumulate wealth, they are going to spend it on like digital things. And like, actually, even before COVID, like, if you look at the data for how many hours we spend online on average, it's like this, in, like our, our entire population, it's only gone up every single year. So it's kind of like, we're literally like, um, as a society, like just going to be using our devices more and more. So it kind of makes sense that we start also spending our wealth in this medium. Because like, I think majority of the world still spends their money on like the physical medium rather than digital medium. Yeah. With regards to spending your wealth, um, let's say someone new comes into the space, sees Bitcoin, it's like at 60K. Um, sees all these old coin valuations that have gone through the roof. Do you think, like, what do you think is the best opportunity out there right now to, like, get involved, kind of start feeling the market? Or even, like, if you've been around for a while, like, where should you be looking? For making the highest amount of return? Or yes. Or even just kind of macro-wise, right? Let's say, like, a young kid listens to this, sort of 16, 17 years old, about as digital native as it gets understands right. the whole premise of being on the internet digital goods can see the opportunity in crypto maybe has tried lending a bit and messing around with the infrastructure and tools available but just wants to have that kind of okay if i'm early what's the best way to take advantage of the fact that i'm still early in relative terms uh, you know where should what should people do where should they go what are the opportunities? I mean, micro, sure, for where we are in the cycle now, but as well, you know, any macro um, guidance, I think, would be very appreciated as well. Right. So I think it depends on, like, uh, what's your starting capital and, like, I guess also, like, sure, like, how old you are and, like, what's your risk tolerance. Like, like, if you have no risk, like, you don't want to take a lot of risk. You kind of just want to at least have kind of, like, the money you put in. Like, and you don't mind it not going up significantly then yeah just putting bitcoin either farm with it or something like that or do something like a yield thing um there's a lot of ways to do that you guys can look for it but if 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 you're looking for a high risk which is like i get why like younger people go for high risk because like say they have 10 grand they want to put in and they're fine if they lose it because they can just like work at a job get 60 grand a year so they can make x6 their per portfolio in a year which is completely fine if you're like 16 17 18 you just got like a part-time job right like like it's, it's like it's not like a career risk that you lose your portfolio right like, but it's different for me so like i can't just like go to a day job and work my current amount of wealth back so um 
I, I, I wouldn't have the balls to like still be in a lot of these, like especially like these more volatile like layer ones or like which they lose like thirty percent like every week. It's like just can't deal with it. So, but I like it kind of makes sense if you have like less sum that you try to like trade us these trends because like it's just like less of a career risk and you can like always make it back like yeah and like I, I for yeah sorry just on another point where I, when i was talking about like nfts like, i mark down every nft i buy as zero so like because like i very much understand like okay this thing could just also be like a somewhat close to like a local top or like something like that right like okay what if like next half half year like like just no one care about this thing if, like for a while like, so I kind of mark down everything I buy as zero at the moment and everything you, I hope to. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I think that's what I used to do with the old coins that I, that I bought and I still do to an extent, at least for the investment side of things, right? When you just go into something super speculative and you're like, okay, I can stand losing this money. Um, and then a lot of people are like, I, they can't, right? I still remem right. remember after the top in 17 when the old coins went off and then crashed afterwards people were all over the place being like i lost more than i could afford and um this hit me real bad there's something that everyone i think should be kind of aware of like okay can they really lose what they're what they're putting in or is it something that they wouldn't be able to stomach um right but in in general do you think like we've we've talked with a, with a bunch of people and Pretty much everyone's been saying the most interesting space in crypto right now is DeFi, is um, kind of in that area. Do you agree with that or do you think it's still, okay, Bitcoin is the king and uh, everyone should, should just be looking at Bitcoin first and then DeFi for like trade opportunities or whatever? Or what's your stance on that kind of whole ecosystem? Um, yeah, I think DeFi is fine. Although, like, actually using it prices out, um, I would say, a lot of, like, the newer, younger entries, because, like, they, they would enter with, like, say, 10 grand. So I don't think it's optimal for them to pay um, 50 bucks to do complex trading stuff or, like, some yield strategy on, on DeFi. And they can very much, uh, I guess, not replicate, but, like, they can at least replicate the base yields in DeFi and, like, on a centralized exchange too, just by setting futures and owning spots. So, um, yeah. So like, but I know a lot of people are at like now into like all this like initial like decentralized exchange offering or something, something like that. And like, I I have a friend who's like an expert in that, and like, he's telling me how like he literally like does this for a living. But like, there's just one time he messed up where like. His transaction didn't go through to like snipe the initial launch, but he he's he's like yeah screw it I'm, I'm gonna buy it anyways. But his like his buy order which had like a large slippage allowance like hit very late, so like he got in a very high price and still goes like X10. So it's like yeah like that space is like really heated right now. Like there's a lot of like people trading around there. So like if you have an edge on these things, like yeah go for it. But like I I think like you you either find some edge and like just to keep doing it or like you kind of just try everything out and see what, what you like and stuff or maybe work somewhere like if i know like if you, if you don't have a like, ton of starting capital yeah like 
if I'm not mistaken, like I scroll through like some projects or like some like some stuff, and it's, it's a lot of them are just hiring. They're their own hiring hiring spree. So yeah, it's a good good, good way to like get some uh, experience from those two if you need. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it's it's actually one of my regrets from like early early crypto because when I started getting really interested, I was still in uni, but I was I had the risk management of i guess someone with like three kids and two mortgages because i was just so scared to like lose all of my money even though obviously the more important point as we discussed was the recoverability of those funds right and i wasn't even working a job at the time so obviously your risk appetite uh should should scale with how recoverable your funds are in, in kind of realistic terms so that's something i very much appreciate and i also really like the point you just made about trying stuff i think twitter is both great and terrible for this i think it's great because you can almost get in touch with anyone you know devs researchers fund managers traders etc i think especially at this point in the market cycle most people are pretty reasonable pretty open-minded and will be willing to lend you an ear if you show at least evidence of uh caring making an effort etc etc but at the same time this is something even i've struggled with if you follow a diverse enough group of people you'll feel like you're missing out pretty much every second of the day right someone's just made like an amazing nft play and someone else is just you know made a great altcoin futures trade someone else just scalped bitcoin at the same time another IDO <laughs> came out and someone 10x this is all happening at the same time and maybe you've got like one of those things or none of those things so there can definitely be some you know you can get pretty suffocating if you for sure if your twitter feed uh sets up that illusion of everyone making like it that. at the same time yeah i remember that when like, i wake up during uh had like some like 50% move, but it just recovers. At the same time, they had like this governance thing that like changed tokenomics. At the same time, Yam launched and my <laughs> friend just farmed five figures and I'm not even farming it. And I'm just like, dude, like, <laughs> what, what is this? Like, it, it's just so, yeah, it's just like so much going on. And I've kind of like, honestly, at this point, I've just given up, like trying to keep up with all of this. Cause like, and there'd just be like projects like that's already like one 20 acts and like my friends already like see my retired from it and i just just heard about it or something like that like yeah that actually leads us to a nice n nice point to round up for where we are in the market cycle currently and for those listening in the future we're kind of you know it is the 9th of uh, april 2021 we're in coinbase ipo days do you have any sort of parting or final advice as to how to navigate this portion of the market cycle where there aren't exactly red flags flashing things are generally going uh quite well across the market both with bitcoin altcoins and all these new emerging sectors etc anyone listening either now or maybe in the future any final wisdom you'd like to impart even in your <laughs> semi-retired status i was just saying um know the thing you're getting into like and like kind of like realizing okay how much percentage of this is like short-term capital or long-term capital like like say bitcoin right like okay like if every retail got liquidated we, we would still be at pretty high prices right because like this whole thing now is like been driven up by like there's a lot of like um buyers that are just like boomer funds or like some some sort of company or some some sort of like high net worth individual like or ultra high net worth ones like and these people aren't like day trading or they're, they're not even looking at prices maybe right so like a lot of bitcoin prices now supported just by like that group buying and holding it 
So I would say like like for, for probably on Bitcoin it's just like gonna be way less drawdown, like max drawdowns compared to like previous cycles. And maybe the same could be applied to a certain extent on ETH, but on the smaller coins, I, I think they, these still have the potential to like really like uh, lose most of their uh, price because uh, there's just like not, it's, it's not like the same kind of participants yet on these smaller coins. So yeah, just, just something to like keep in mind, I guess, if you're like a long-term uh, investor or something. Yeah, makes a lot of sense almost categorizing your investments as to how, how long you expect them to stick around. And I think most reasonable people would agree that there's a difference between classifying Bitcoin and then classifying some <laughs> punk ripoff you're buying on BSC or whatever it may be. Um, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, CL, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I've certainly learned a lot. I'm sure audience will as well. Thank you for that. And of course, a thank you to the show's sponsor, which is Blockfolio, blockfolio.com, blockfolio.trade for your mobile trading needs. Duck, any final wisdom from the pond, comments, criticisms of our guest while he's still here? <laughs> or anything for our audience? I absolutely hate you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, I, 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 really, I really appreciate you coming by. I'm a little bit sad that you only came by when Cred asked you instead of when I did. <laughs> yeah that's some off-stream beef for you two to settle yeah but other than that no i appreciate you coming by and uh would love to have you on again um and uh, yeah nothing no wisdom from me no news there <laughs> awesome thanks cl yeah. thank you to the duck to our audience you know where to find us and we'll see you for the next episode soon goodbye yeah thank you goodbye